I don't know about you, but uh, I've been distracted this week because of the events in Haiti and uh, the news that we've been seeing and hearing almost hourly. Um, like many of you, we've, Phyllis and myself, have a particular connection with Haiti. We, we sponsored a child for many years and we're wondering where and what, and has, what has happened to little Chedlin even now. And uh, how do we respond? Uh, h- how we, the church in St. Albans, in Europe, in wherever, how are we going to respond to this? Well, needless to say, uh, we will be making a, a gift out of our general fund, and uh, certainly if you want to add to that, we'll be making it to the, the same places that you will, the, the, you know, the, the DEC, the Disaster Emergency Fund. Um, we will do that, and that will be going off tomorrow. And if you want to add something to that, please feel free to do that. Just mark it on the, the check. But, but in all things, I, I love getting specific. I, I love getting particular. And um, it's difficult because the situation, as you and I have been seeing and, and are picking up, is that actually the aid seems to be pouring in. It's just stuck at the airport. There's nothing to take it out. There's, nothing, there's no roads. The whole infrastructure has fallen apart in Haiti. And it's very difficult. Does that mean we sort of sit back and, t- and wait until it all sorts itself out in six weeks' time when President Obama, and thank God for him, has uh, you know, got law and order restored and some semblance of, of government taking place? I don't know. I don't think so. And then I got a, an email from, from Gemma Pope, one of our, our folk here. Gemma, are you here this morning? Just give us a wave if you are. She often comes to the next service. But anyway, Gemma Pope and, and a number of our people have been partnering uh, with Habitat for Humanity. And uh, <clears throat> last two years we've sent teams out there. And I got an email from her. And uh, Habitat for Humanity, as you know, provide housing for people. And uh, one of the things that happens and things our teams have been involved in is building a home in a week. Well, they have people in Haiti already. They have a plan already in place because shelter is one of those things that they specialize in. And there are three things that that they are already focusing on. First of all, there's clean up and cash for work. Paying people to help with the clean up. This does a number of things. It cleans up. It puts money in their pocket, but also one of the reports that is very worryingly coming out of hate at the moment, on top of everything else, a lot of people are being driven insane. And to have a purpose, and this last week and this week, next week, we're talking about our purpose, to have a purpose, a reason to get out of bed, a reason to pick up a shovel and report to the, 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 the HQ down the road, that is just enough sanity in a sea of insanity to help mums and hard-pressed dads and kids hold it together. Clean up for cash. Secondly, they, they have a, a whole bunch of shelter kits. And, of course, Haiti is a particularly difficult situation. They are in the hurricane zone. At the moment, the weather's good, but come 
June, July, August, the hurricanes start coming in. They're already, they're still reeling from previous hurricanes, devastating hurricanes that have swept through. So you can't just send out, you know, a bit of tarpaulin. If you're going to build temporary shelters, they've got to be up for the job. Habitat for Humanity have already addressed these issues, and they have shelter packs that they're wanting to erect to, to put a roof over people's heads. These are about 600 pounds. They don't come cheap, but compared to the 60,000 pounds that it might cost to build a, a house in, in the north of England, and who knows what it costs down here, it doesn't sound too bad for me, to me. And then there are what they call these transitional shelters. This is more medium term. And, and, and essentially what they are is a, is a good foundation and maybe one or two good walls and, and then some temporary bits which they can upgrade later. It's about speed. It's about getting a roof over these kids and parents and, and mums and grannies and granddads and uncles and aunts head quickly. And so I thought, if we're going to be particular, if we're going to be specific, the Church of Jesus Christ, let's not just run around and say, oh, whoa, 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 what should we do, what should we do, what should we do? Let's get focused. And so, so that we can pray more effectively and engage more effectively, I thought, let's go hungry for Haiti. Jesus identified with us. Jesus didn't say, clean up your act. He came and was the act. And so I'm suggesting that maybe this Wednesday, all of us, wherever we are, whether we work in the city or whether we're on the road as a sales rep or whether we're at school or college or whatever, if you're in good health, not if you're pregnant or aged or have a health problem, but just miss that meal. And if the sandwich, the baguette, the McDonald's, the whatever was going to cost you three quid, save that and let's bring that all together next Sunday. And we'll, we'll have a second offering. We'll have another offering. And we'll put that in. And we will go without food. And we'll use that opportunity to pray. Take that ten minutes. Sort of step outside the office. Go for a walk around the block, you know. And we'll pray. We'll remember Haiti. Won't, we won't just do the, oh gosh, oh, oh, oh. Let's get focused here, folks. Let's pray for Haiti. Let's go hungry for Haiti. And the next Sunday, we'll put that money together and we will give it to Habitat for Humanity and say, do whatever you, we, do whatever you can. Let's get focused. Are you up for that, guys? Yeah. You up for that? Okay. Well, now just turn with your neighbor and just for three minutes before we move on, just pray for Haiti. Just to, whoever they are, just strangers, friends, family, whatever, just turn and pray together just for three minutes. About some of the things that you've seen, and let's get this thing going. So, Father, we want to say that we love you, we trust you, and we pray, Lord God, that that which we've resolved to do this day will make a difference. That actually it really will save lives. And as we go hungry for Haiti, change us a little. Make us a little more grateful. Make us a little more thoughtful. Make us a little more prayerful. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So next Sunday, folks, bring your three quids along. 
And, and there is a link to the Habitat for Humanity uh, website, this initiative. Uh, Flissy, how, how, do they, how do they get into that? It'll be on the website. So if you go on the church website, if you want to sort of charge in and make a gift anyway, fine, that's great. But that's what we'll be doing next Sunday. Why don't we all stand now and greet one another, especially if you're a visitor. Just Please just turn and say good morning to someone. Thank you. What is your purpose? It's, a, it's an unsettling question, that, isn't it? The awkwardness and the discomfort that people were feeling when asked what their purpose was. Last week, uh, I invited you to pray a, den- a dangerous prayer and say, you know, if you weren't already clear of what your, about what God's purpose for you was, I invited you to pray that dangerous prayer and say to God, what is my purpose? Just out of interest, how many of you actually prayed that prayer uh, at some point during the week? Three. Oh, that was a good sermon. <laughs> I'm glad I'm going to start again with it. You know, uh, it is unsettling. And it raises all sorts of questions because I, I, I guess um, many of us would say that we don't have a purpose, to be honest, that we don't feel that that is something that we found yet. And if God has a purpose for us, uh, that's something that we've yet to discover. Uh, in fact, we're just kind of get, trying to get by. And there's, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong with just trying to get by and stay married and stay in, in the black and, and in our finances and, and try and be a good neighbor. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not knocking it. But I am equally unsettled and challenged by Ephesians 2.10. And I said this when I, I said this last week when I first became a Christian. I, I very early on, literally in the first two or three weeks, came across this verse. And it actually excited me. Ephesians 2.10, just to remind you, says this. We are God's workmanship. We're his project, if you like. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has something in mind when he thinks of you. His first response is love, compassion, kindness. He, he calls you son or daughter. He, 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 he sees you as family. But... We were made for a purpose, and God has something in mind for you that, that maybe for some of you, and I would say this was an exciting thing, is yet to unfold. But if you're not looking for it, if you're not attentive, if you're not available, and that's a word that, that we've often used when touching on this subject, are you available, or is your life just so busy that actually if God had something you to do, it would have to be, look, I, I'm not sure I can do it just now. Can I, can, I, can I schedule it in for next Tuesday week? You know, are you available? If God has a purpose for you, are you seeking it out? Are you willing to make the sacrifice? Because it will always involve sacrifice. It will, it will require you to let go of things that you thought were valuable things that you thought were worthy, things that may be actually good, in order to make God's purpose for you, the priority. And I suppose that's, that's partly why we're a little resistant to this whole what is my purpose question, because if we discover our purpose, if we begin to catch a glimpse of what God might have in mind for us, well then we actually have to start making that the priority. Not an also ran or, yeah, on the Thursdays in, you know, the third Thursday in the month I go down to the old people's home and I read a book to an old lady there. You know, that's great, do that. But, but if that's the kind of sacrifice and commitment that is required, if that's what your, if, if that is the sum total of your purpose, I would humbly suggest to you, you ain't got there yet. 
Because your purpose, if you're living a full life, engaged with your purpose, it should at least make your eyes water and focus your prayers. So I would encourage you in this coming week, if you managed to duck the message last week, maybe even listen to the message again, but ask God, begin to seek. Jesus said, seek and you will find. Start pressing into God and saying, Father, what is my purpose? Chris is really bugging me on this. He's really annoying me. I'm thinking of leaving the church. (laughs) But Father, what have you got to say about this? What is my purpose? And isn't it time I started devoting the better part of me to that? So that is basically where we were at last week. This week I want to talk about our purpose, the church's purpose. And then, uh, you know, we've talked about my purpose. I've mentioned my purpose, our purpose. Next week I want to look at something that I haven't looked at yet but in my view is probably the most important of these purpose questions and that is his purpose what is God's purpose Uh, I don't know whether some of you recall that uh, video that we saw two or three years ago where Bono was speaking about his work with AIDS uh, charities and, and the one campaign and he came out and said something which is entirely biblical and I love the way he he said it he said all too often we're asking God to bless what we're doing He said, my mentor, my Christian mentor, and he had one. (laughs) That was an eye-opener. When he was a teenager, he had a Christian mentor, but his Christian mentor said this, and it stuck with him. He said, find out what God is blessing, and then start blessing that. Not bless what I'm doing, but find out what God is blessing. What is his purpose? And then start blessing that. That is so biblical, because Jesus, of course, said this. He said... You know, I, I only do that which I see the Father doing. He wasn't a loose cannon wandering around doing good, being nice and smiling at everyone. Jesus was about his Father's business. He said, I only do that which I see the Father doing. And so next week we will touch on, again, in all of these talks, the preaching team want to kind of prime the pump for you. We're not going to spoon feed you. We want you to be a people of the word, a people who are digging deep, have have an authentic prayer life. Uh, Just like Andy was saying, beginning to get into God's word and asking questions of God's word and have a dynamic thing. We want you to do the search, not just spoon feed you like we still sometimes have to spoon feed. Not always, but sometimes have to spoon feed my two-year-old daughter. But you better believe by the time she's three, if we're still spoon feeding her, we're in trouble and so is she. So it's about maturing in the faith, you know, getting into God's word and taking a thought that maybe Dennis or I or, or Rich or whoever or Rick uh, floats there and you find it intriguing and it gets under your skin a bit and you begin to press into it. But this week I want to talk about our purpose, again, just sort of raising the question and, and, and looking at that a little bit. So our purpose, well, I, I, I guess for many churches the world wide over, they would probably go to Matthew 28. 18 to 20, so, so why be different? Why don't we do that? Let's just uh, look at Matthew 28 for a moment and, and see what it has to say there. Should be should be familiar to many of you. Of course, it's what many have come to call the Great Commission. It's Jesus' last words to us. It's, 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 it's our purpose, if you like, our universal purpose. Whatever the banner or the denomination uh, whatever the signage over the front door, this is something that we in the in the church are all about. Jesus said this. 
He said, uh, verse 28, uh, sorry, chapter 28, uh, verse 18, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is, is one that, that, that walks with Jesus, wants to be like Jesus, wants to talk like Jesus, look like Jesus, and connect like Jesus. And I use that word, connect like Jesus, because I don't mean that we should all go out, buy a, a pair of thong sandals, a long coat, and grow beards. I, I'm not talking about that. You know, Jesus connected at a profound level with the culture and the people in, in Palestine and Galilee and uh, 2,000 years ago. He came and he was one with them. So we have to be one with the people and the culture that we're involved with. We have to engage with it. It's not always comfortable. It's not always easy. It's not always pleasant. And there has been a stream of of teaching through the generations, through the ages that has said, come out of her and you become exclusive and you start little religious communities. You become like the Amish or the, or, or, or the Mennonites or whatever and you become completely separate and, and become a curiosity, that's all, an irrelevant curiosity possibly. Now we are in the people. There is an incarnational element in what we are and what we do. But, but, we are, we are Jesus in that situation. We are Jesus to our workmates, please God. We are Jesus in that situation. Make disciples. But the other thing that, that we draw from 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 5 is, is that we undo the works of the enemy. And, and quite frankly, you know, I would say, Haiti apart, that there's plenty of works of the enemy around. We actually don't have to look very far to look at the works of the enemy. You know, in my own street, my own, uh, you know, uh, where I live, a neighbor came up to me yesterday and said, do you know that, um, I won't mention the name, a, a couple have split up. And, uh, and I said, I didn't know that. Uh, I, and I was staggered. Apparently they split up and she left, she walked out six months ago. And I didn't know that. And I see this, I see the, the you know, the, the, the husband regularly and wave and chat and talk. He's, he's a, really into uh, restoring uh, antique planes and fascinating to me. Uh, you may call it nerdy, but it's fascinating to me. So he and I have many a chat, but he never once said to me in all these conversations, my wife's left me. They don't have any kids. She has a great career. And it seems, so my, my other neighbor was saying that the career was, the, the marriage was interfering with the career. My gosh. But you know what? I, said, I went back inside, I spoke to Flissy about this, and, and I just feel there's deceit here. There's the enemy at work. There's the enemy skewing our priorities. Work's a good thing. It's God's idea. I'm sorry if that disappoints you. But actually, God made us to work. It's, you may see it as a curse. Well, I, I really hope that God tr you know, changes your attitude to that. But we're meant to work. But never should we make our business or our work or the pursuit of, of goods or, or, or prosperity as, as we define it in the West. We, we should never make that the be-all and the end-all because things get seriously out of skew when we do. 
But you know, I, I have to say to you, being absolutely self-disclosing here, I feel a measure of shame, personal failure, because I have talked to this neighbor. And I feel that I let him down. I was too content to talk about the obsession of his life, the, the antique planes. I should have talked about some other things, and then maybe he would have felt okay about saying, one day, Chris, can, you go out for a, can we go out for a beer or something? Man, I have, I have to say to the Lord, I don't feel very, I'm sorry about this, Lord. You, you made me his neighbor, not someone else. I'm his neighbor, and I should have been there for him. And uh, ask a few questions and not be content to just sort of talk about the generalities, the same old thing. I don't feel very good about myself on that. Uh, you know, I'm not pretending that I could have done anything up, but, but I'd have liked to have been there for him. And who knows? You see, we're called as a people to make Christ known, to make disciples, to, to proclaim Christ, but to be Christ and to undo the works of the enemy, undo that which Christ is doing. It says in 1 John 3, 8, that Jesus, the reason Jesus Christ came was to undo the works of the enemy. We, we don't just sit back and let life happen and tut and go, ooh, and isn't that a shame? We actually get focused, like we're doing with the Haiti thing, please, God, in our own small way. But I'm not going to apologize for smallness. God loves small things. We get focused and we press on in. And this is our purpose. This is the purpose of the church. To be his body here on earth. Not just an agency. Not just a representative. Not just even an ambassador. Although the scripture uses all of those terms. We are his presence. We are to be Christ full of compassion and mercy, willing to lay down our lives in order to show compassion and mercy to others. So our purpose is, is yes, the Great Commission, but, but let's unpack that. Let's not just trot it off on our tongues too easily. Our purpose should flow out of our passion. Our passion. And I love passion. That's one reason why I spent so much time talking with his neighbor, because he was passionate about antique airplanes. And I was actually chatting at, at, um, with Vic Breeds, who plays bass up here, and he has an interest in cars, as I do. And, uh, and I was talking to him about a conversation I had with somebody who's into trams. And it wasn't so much the subject, it was just the passion. I love passion. It's something about my makeup. You know, passion is, is, is very attractive to me. And it draws me. And I, I will always spend a bit of time with people of passion, whatever the subject is. It might be growing the biggest leak on the allotment. I don't care. I, I am just... It floats my boat. Passion is something that excites me. There's too much cynicism, too much, I've seen it all before, too much apathy, too much world weariness. I can't stand it. It gets my goat. I love passion. Hallelujah. <laughs> that was passionate. <laughs> Boy, I'm getting really worked up here. But seriously, folks, you know, that, that, our good works, that which we do in the name of Christ, flow out of a passion. And the passion can be broken down into three things, of course, many things. But I'm a preacher, so let's do it three ways. A passion for Jesus. 
He's the source, not just God, not just religion, not just the church, not just vineyard, not just, you know, being good to my friends and, you know, not just, it's specific. It flows out of a passion for Jesus who is not just our friend, although I hope you know him as friend, not just our savior, although I hope you know him as savior, but he is Lord. That means he's the sovereign of the universe. And all that I do flows out of all that I am, all that I have devoted myself to over these many years now, flows out of a passion for Jesus that simply will not go away. Sometimes I want it to go away because it just drives me on. It drives me and I can't settle at times and I get fretful and all the rest of it. It, 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 but it's a passion I have for, for Jesus, my friend, my Savior, and my Lord. The King of the universe. A passion for Jesus. And, and I would encourage those of you who may be like Andy there, are a little bit lackluster at the moment in your faith, or at a stage of your life where you think you've heard every sermon at least three times, and maybe you have. You've done everything, you've served every way, you've done the block, you've been to this conference, you did that, you did the other. If you're a little lackluster, if you're going through the motions, and I was talking to our leaders about this on Tuesday, I would suggest start reading the Gospels and start reading and thinking and praying to Jesus. Get into Jesus again. I, I know of no other person, and I, I, present person, who will get you passionate, who will start to enthrall you like the man who's growing the biggest leak on the allotment. He will get you passionate again about this thing we call faith. The faith itself, vineyard, all these other things. I mean, there are times I leave this site, like Friday or Thursday afternoon was one when I, I couldn't get off this place quick enough. We had a whole series of things going on during the week. And the last straw was that a pipe burst in the, in the youth cabin and there was three inches of water and it was a right mess. I tell you, just as I settled down to write my sermon, the pipe, I was, discovered this thing. I, I wanted to just go home. We can get tired of anything eventually. But Jesus still, still intrigues me. So get a passion for Jesus Start seeking, seeking him out, engaging with him. And then out of that, all sorts of things begin to gain shape and momentum. The next thing to touch on is a passion for the kingdom. Jesus' magnificent obsession when he was teaching was the kingdom of God. It was his favorite subject. Bringing in the kingdom, the kingdom to come. And as followers of Jesus, that's what we're looking for, the kingdom that is to come. But we catch glimpses of it now. Things break in now. It's, we, that we are forerunners, if you like. We are prophetic forerunners. When we, when we see healing or, or, or when we see some, some grace or some kindness or some ministry of, of mercy uh, b- b- taking hold and what have you. These are all foretastes of the kingdom to come. We are a kingdom people. And it's all about undoing the works of the enemy and the, the reign and rule of Jesus. And seeing that, working out in our life, modeling that to our neighbors, not just talking about it, but modeling it in a way that they can see and can get. You know? Another of my neighbors, you know, just recently, I, 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 you know, 
I kind of gave up on him. I really did. At the end of last year, I was just so exasperated with him for, for reasons I won't go into. And uh, he's had a turnaround. I've, you know, I thought, well, that's it. He's, he's, the choices he's made, that's it. Uh, I wasn't writing him off, but he, I didn't think he was going to stick around. But he's had a change of heart, and he's still with his wife, and it's... And uh, he's asking spiritual questions. And uh, you're just amazed, you know. This is the kingdom at work. It's not just down to me, down to you, because the Spirit of God is at work in his world and this kingdom. And we get, to, we get to do it too. So we are a people who have a passion for the kingdom. Seeing the reign and rule of Christ and being involved in anything and everything that God sends our way whereby we can undo the works of the enemy, undo the evil, undo the wrong, be part of the solution or not just part of the problem. And then thirdly, a passion for his word. And I'm not going to bang on about this. I've already mentioned it. But, you know, uh, Dennis, again, you know, did a great job the first week uh, of this year talking about, you know, being rooted and, and getting back into studying his word, reading, studying, and meditating. I got it, Dan. It's there. Thank you. Reading, studying, meditating. Uh, and I loved it. It was a great word. Thank you. Bore fruit. I said to Dennis, we had a preaching team meeting. I said, you know, that was an interesting sermon, that one, because in my humble opinion, and please don't gasp and suck your teeth when I say this, that actually you were tripping over your words a lot. You were doing what I normally do. And you, it wasn't the, the smoothest, most eloquent of presentations that I've ever seen you do. But what you said really impacted there was life in that thing. And I've had conversations with you about things that you're doing now, even in my own family. You know, we've been doing this for a while. Um, I don't embarrass people in my family, you know, God forbid. But, um, you know, they're doing things differently because of what the Lord spoke through Dennis. I think that's wonderful. That's the measure of a good sermon. The fruit that's born from it, you know. So we are a people who have a passion for Jesus, a passion for the kingdom, a passion for his world. And if I was going to add a fourth one, and we could probably add a million others, and you'll probably think, well, what about a passion for... Fine, great, whatever. But a passion for mercy, you know? Being a community where people can come here for the first time on their own, a bit fearful, a bit scared, and not feel like they're bad, or don't know where to sit, or don't know when to stand up, or don't know when to kneel down, or don't know what to say, or don't know what to do, or don't know because they just, they don't know. You know? Uh, and again, I, I love the way you as a people are inclusive and you do talk to strangers and keep it up because it's making a huge difference. It's becoming a distinctive, something people say about the vineyard. You know, you may go there on your own, but you may not, you know, you won't stay alone for long. Wonderful. Let's keep that up. That's kingdom stuff. So anyway, our passion I want to talk a little bit about the local church, and in order to do that in these last five minutes before we have the worship team, I just want to go back to what for many of you will be a, a very well-known passage, and that's Ephesians chapter 4. <clears throat> I'm sorry if I'm a bit low energy today. I am a bit low energy, that's for various reasons, but um, so I hope it's not boring. But anyway, Ephesians chapter 4. Begin at verse 11, Paul is speaking about the local church and he says this, 
It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That expression, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, you know, just, just think about that. That would be a good one for you to weigh and you know, take away with you this week and do what I said, do a bit of digging on. What, is, what, what the heck does that mean? You know, Paul's desire is that, that we might all grow up into the full measure, the, full, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Well, it means, of course, imitating him in every way, which, which has, you know, a number of things not unrelated to that which I've already said. You know, we have a concern for the welfare of others. We're willing to make sacrifices. We're willing to be inconvenienced. That's a word I love to dish out occasionally because as a culture, we are incredibly intolerant of inconvenience. You know, we may say it's good to be good neighbors, it's good to be friendly, it's good to, you know, do a bit of community service, it's good to, to, to give a bit of money, it's good to be at a bit of time and good to give a bit of energy, but don't you dare inconvenience me. It's like the one thing that we, will, we are not tolerant of, we will not tolerate being inconvenienced. We need to get over that church because I tell you, being a Christian has been the biggest inconvenience in my life. I have been so inconvenienced by being a Christian. It was bad enough becoming a Christian, but, but then to be called to be the pastor of a church, man, is that an inconvenience. I had a completely different purpose up until that point. Uh, but you talk to any Christian who's been around for a little while who's actually you know, doing it and not just pretending they're doing it, treading water as it were. This messes with your head, it messes with your mind, and it will inconvenience you. It will. And if it isn't, you're not playing anymore. It should be inconveniencing you. Because it says in the scriptures that the, the flesh always wars against the spirit. And this gig is a spirit gig. The flesh wants to do this, that and the other. The, the flesh has this ambition, this, these insecurities, you know, these, these, kind of, these needs. And those are all too evident in the world and culture in which we live in. But in the spirit... There's, a, there's something else going on. We imitate Christ who was inconvenienced on the cross. Think about it. He was inconvenienced. The sovereign Lord of all the universe allowed himself to be inconvenienced on the cross. Imitating Christ in every way means, means holiness. Well, that's not a popular word. These are moral purity. Actually try, you know, doing one's level best to walk, it, walk well. And not just when people are looking at us, when they're not looking at us. Our secret life, our secret history. Is it as good as the, the public one? There's a big issue, a big question there that may require some thought and working through. And thirdly, as I was thinking about this, you know, and I'm encouraging you to go away and think about what does the whole measure of the fullness of Christ mean? The whole business of, of righteousness, acting justly. This sometimes inconveniences us. You know, I, I uh, yesterday, a little simple example, not a great one, but it's a now example. I have uh, uh, often bought things on eBay and sold things on eBay. It's something that Fliss and I do. We enjoy doing that. And it's kind of fun. 
Well, I had this very valuable car storage thing, like a great big, I don't know what, it's a great big bag of wind. If you haven't seen one, it's hard to describe. And um, it was getting a little bit old and a bit ropey. And uh, so I decided to uh, sell it on eBay. And I was brutally honest in my my description. And uh, anyway, I, I, I took a photograph, wrote this description, was sent, you know, listed the thing, went out to have another look at it, and would you believe it, after three years of working perfectly, in the time I hit the send button, it broke down. So I've spent much of this week fiddling around trying to fix it. You know, the, the, the auction has been running. And it came to a point, middle of yesterday afternoon, where I thought to myself, do you know what, if I didn't say anything about this, I could probably bodge it, it'll, it'll be okay, it'll work for a few weeks. And I would honestly have done that. I actually, the fact that I had the conversation tells you that I would have done it. I mean, that's the old Chris. But I suddenly thought, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm going to be inconvenienced here because I'm a Christian. So in the end, I, I ended the auction. Well, I have had that many flipping emails from people sort of cross with me because I've ended the auction. I mean, you know, there's no justice in the world, is there? I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know? But it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it righteously. I don't care whether anybody's looking or not. I'm not even bothered whether they like it or not. I did not feel good about selling a duff thing when I knew it was duff and pretending it wasn't duff. There you go. So anyway, our purpose then. Equipping the saints is another thing here. and It mentions five roles that people play. And, and actually, this has often been used as, as a model for the way one structures the local church. Uh, I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. But actually, what bothers me a little bit in some teachings on this is that that's an exclusive list. So you're not supposed to be going away and saying, well, am I a prophet or am I a t- whatever? You're not supposed to be. Just, the, the categories are too tight. If there was time, I would go through Romans 12. If you look in Romans 12, there's a way big, big, big list there of, of things that God may call us to do. Everything from serving, everything from teaching, leading, you know, it's inclusive. You know, it, 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 but, but, but it's all about our purpose and the things that, that God calls us to. And the purpose of the church is to equip the saints, not to spoon feed you, as I was saying before, but to, to equip you to be the church. That's what it says here. These, these offices, these, these roles are given, verse 13, to prepare God's people, to prepare God's people for works of service. It's about us doing it, not just the professionals doing it, but us doing it, being the church, being the church. And finally, and then I must finish, our purpose, 4.16. Uh, I'll quickly read that through, Matt, if you can throw up that uh, Ephesians 4.16. It says here, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We all have a part to play. God sees us as his body here on earth. We have a purpose. May I encourage you to ask God, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Let's all stand. Can I have the band back up, please?
Let me just pray. Father, many times we've prayed rather off the cuff that we wouldn't just play at church here. And that's certainly our prayer this morning, that we would stop playing at church, stop playing at being a Christian. That, Lord God, we would find in you our passion and our purpose. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.